Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you humbly, Father, as your servant, Father, with this message that I believe is hard, but that you put it in my heart, and you, and I ask that you anoint me to deliver it, Father, in the manner that you gave it to me, Father. In the confines of my office, you poured it into my heart, Father, and I agonized over it, but here it is, Father. So anoint, Father, the outgoing of your word, and Father, let it be a blessing to someone here, to everyone here. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The trail of tears. What does that bring to mind when I say that? Well, if you're good with history, you'll say that it refers to when the American military forcibly relocated Native Americans from their homes on the East Coast to a reservation in Oklahoma. Thousands of people were marched on foot with little or nothing to eat, and thousands of them died along the way. It was a terrible, inhumane treatment by one people upon another. It wasn't the first time that this has happened, nor would it be the last time. The Bible takes us to one such occasion when the nation of Israel was forcibly relocated. King Nebuchadnezzar ordered his army to destroy Jerusalem and bring back to Babylon the best of the Jews. Read with me that inconsolable sadness and despair in the hearts of these Jews in Psalms 137. I will be reading this morning from the New English Translation, which is the NET. Psalm 137.1 says, By the rivers of Babylon we sit down and weep when we remember Zion. On the poplars in her midst we hang our harps. Thinking about all they had left behind and all they had lost along the way, now it is gone. Their joy is gone. Their love of music also gone. Have you ever been there? And to make matters worse, the unsympathetic and sadistic captors now attempted to force them to be happy. Let's read verse 3. For our captors ask us to compose uh, songs. Those who mock us demand that we be happy, saying, sing for us a song about Zion. Come on, you Jews, as you sit there as slaves, sing to us about your King David, who killed the monster with your God's help. And with your God's help, you slayed thousands on the battlefield and were victorious. Sing to us about that as you sitting there, slaves. You can say they had traveled the Trail of Tears all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon. No doubt losing loved ones along the way. A terrible, inhumane treatment by one people upon another. Who can forget the Holocaust 
If you've not visited the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., I highly recommend you do. You can see documented all the horrors visited upon the Jewish people by Hitler and his military. Let us not forget the evil of slavery. We have all read about and seen the movies and documentaries of the unspeakable things done by one people against another. The oppression, the cruelty, the inhumane treatment of one people upon another. I'll never forget when Pastor Larry recalled from a book he read that while the trains were being packed with Jewish people headed to the death camps, German churches were filled with people worshiping God. Likewise, while slaves were being mutilated, whipped, raped, and who knows what other forms of mistreatment, people went to church on Sunday in the name of God. President John F. Kennedy once said, the only thing necessary for, triumph, for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. But worst of all, the worst trail of tears is the one walked by our Lord Jesus on his way to be crucified, carrying his own cross. What was his crime? The ruler of the area, Pontius Pilate, could find no crime that he had committed, but yet he was forced to walk that trail. And might I ask, he walked it willingly for you and for me. All those things are terrible, unthinkable things visited upon a people by another people, forced to walk a trail of tears. But this morning, I want to narrow our focus to our own individual lives. What do you do? How do you feel? How do you act when something goes terribly wrong in your life? Let me read a stanza from a poem read, written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He said, be still, sad heart, and cease repining. Behind the clouds, the sun is still shining. Thy fate is the common fate of all. Into each life, some rain must fall. Some days must be dark and dreary. Let me run through a couple of scenarios of terrible blows that have entered people's lives. Blows that I myself had witnessed. Maybe you can identify with some, and maybe you can add to the list. In a previous church that uh, we attended was a very likable and cheerful young man who was always spreading the love of Christ wherever he went. He worked for the local cable company. And one day after a storm, he got on the ladder to repair a broken cable. While he climbed to reach the broken cable, his ladder slid into and hit a power cable that was live. He was dead before he hit the ground. His widow was devastated. And also from a previous church, a housewife and mother of two had devoted her life to her family when one day her husband tells her he wants a divorce. 
He was found. He has found someone else. What will she do? And in August of 1973, I moved my family. Josie and three children, but at that time, aged three and two years old, to California to work. I was an aircraft mechanic at the time, and I got immediately, I got a job for Lockheed Aircraft at the best salary I had ever made. Man, we were set. However, a couple of months later, in November of that same year, the Arab oil embargo happened. The aircraft industry just about shut down as all the aircraft companies had massive layoffs. There I was, three kids, a wife, and away from a family that would help. I could not convey to you the feeling that I had standing there holding that pink slip. A close family member, while enjoying dinner, a knock came on the door, and it was the repo man with papers to repossess their only car. And finally, one more. You all know the path that Josie and I have been walking since January. The doctor told us she had stage four uh, metastatic cancer in her abdomen for which there was no known cure and gave her around a year to live. The worst was in March where she could not breathe. She could not catch enough oxygen and her, and her face started turning white, ashen. That was the worst moment of my life when I watched EMS put her into an ambulance and take her. Worst moments. You fill in your own scenario. What do you do when a blow like this happens? Longfellow's poignant words bring us no comfort. So what if to, into a life some rain must fall? This is not a little rain. This is a hurricane. This is a devastating tornado. Have you ever been there? It is during these hard times during these dark times in your life when there appears to be no end in sight to your pain for your distress, when you continually cry out to the Lord and the heavens appear silent, times when you feel you're wrestling with God, times where you feel that God has disappointed you, felt that God has let you down, I know it doesn't sound spiritual, and you might not even say it out loud, but inside that is how you are feeling. You feel abandoned by God. You feel confused. We read in our Bible that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. That's for sure. Because at this moment, his ways are certainly not my ways and the way that I thought things would be. And they are not resolved in the timetable that I had. I had prayed for my situation as well as many others in this church and across the country. A couple of missionaries that I know from other countries have prayed. Still, the heavens are silent. One prophet in the Bible who raises this question, 
in a question to God is the prophet Habakkuk. Let's turn there and let's read from chapter 1, verse 2. And read with me. How long, Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. I call out to you violence, but you do not deliver. Anybody else ever felt this way? His question, in essence, is, how long do I have to pray about this? How long do I have to plead with you about this and you remain silent? How long? That is his question. He has another question in verse 3. Why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present and one must endure strife. First the prophet wants to know how long. Now he wants to know why. Have you ever been there? Why? Why, Lord? This morning I'm just being open with you. Because I have. The prophet was so shook up as I am about this. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 16. I listened and my stomach churned. The sound made my lips quiver. My frame went limp as if my bones were decaying. And I shook as I tried to walk. I long for the day of distress to come upon the people who attack us. He is saying, I tremble at the outlook of what I see coming. Unless you intervene, God, what I see coming is so terrible that I am withering inside. I am so depressed. I am so saddened that I don't even want to interact with anyone. It is in these times, in fact, at every moment of our lives, that we need three things. All of us, no matter what our circumstances in life, these three things we all need. All men, all women, and all children. We all need them. No matter how old we are or what stage of life we're in. One, we all need love. We need to be loved. We need to be loved unconditionally. And we need to be loved extravagantly. That includes us, macho men. Admit it, guys. You want your wife to love you extravagantly. You need it. You also need to be loved by somebody who knows all your faults and yet still loves you extravagantly. Everyone needs love. I know of somebody that loves you that way. Do you know him this morning? Secondly, we all need somebody to trust. Someone to have faith in. We need somebody to believe in. Someone who is first and foremost devoted to our well-being. Someone into whose hands we may place our lives. 
Someone who has the ability and the resources to keep us sheltered and protected in this angry and cold and cruel world. We need someone to love us and someone to care for us who has the power to rescue us from all our troubles. Do you know him? Thirdly, we need hope. We need to know that there is a future. We need to know that someone has a plan and someone has a purpose. That someone has a flashlight to guide us through the dark times in our lives. And we need the hope that somewhere in the future there is a good outcome. And the assurance that when that happens, it's going to be far greater than anything we are going through. Do you know him? That reminds me of a dark time. Josie and I are sitting on, in the oncologist's office. A person who we believe is a doctor walks into the room. Josie, he asks, how are you doing? After a few words, he asks, can I pray with you? We're floored. What doctor asked that? Didn't examine, didn't take out his thesiscope or his thermometer. He didn't type anything on his computer. Just, can I pray with you? In the course of that prayer, he prays and he says the Holy Spirit will guide her through this dark time. Then he walks out. Josie walks to the door and looks both ways, the long hallway. There's nobody there. We looked in my chart, which is the documented software that we have access to. No documentation that anyone ever saw her. We searched the doctor database, nothing, as if he didn't exist. Josie, to this day, says that she was visited by an angel to encourage her. Love, faith, hope. Someone to love you, someone you can trust and put your faith in, and someone to give you a future. Love, Faith, hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this, these is love. All through the New Testament, we see these three together. The greatest is love. Amazing love. How could it be that my king would die for me? These three are divine benefits that come to us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. These three things are essential so that we can navigate this life and whatever this world throws at us. These three things are what we need to live life with peace and with joy. Turn to John 16:33 where Jesus tells us. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have conquered the world. He says that in this world you're going to have trouble and suffering. Jesus means that, no matter, means that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to live honorably and morally and Christ-like, in the world you will have trouble and suffering. It's coming if it's not already here. It's coming. <clears throat> Whenever the Bible speaks of the world, it is not speaking about the land or the rivers or the trees. It is talking about a system of evil that dominates humanity. It is operated by Satan. It is infested with demonic activity that influences people to sin and thus create a world of evil. And it escalates. It has escalated. Just look around. <coughs> so Jesus is reminding us that the world we live in is dominated by evil. That, in large part, is the reason for our trouble and suffering. Again, in verse 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He says he told us some things that when we're in the midst of trouble and suffering, we may have peace. What are those things that he says? Well, all these things can be found in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 of John. It is a lengthy teaching that Jesus has with his disciples, beginning with the object lesson he gives before him about washing the disciples' feet before the Last Supper and continues here through verse 16. I encourage you, Read it. You will be encouraged by what Jesus is doing and what he's teaching and what the future holds for us. He is, um, he is here he reveals the next phase of God's plan for humanity. That is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Though, the whole, though Jesus is departing from the world and departing in bodily form, he is sending the Holy Spirit to be with us the rest of the way until the final phase of God's plan, which is his return. John 14, verse 3 says, And if I go, I make a place ready for you. I will come back again and take you with me, so that where I am, you may be too. When Jesus returns on that final day, all the scenarios that I just was talking about, all those troubles and all that suffering will be a thing of the past. But for now, he has sent the Holy Spirit to help us. Not just to get by, but to overcome. 1 John 15 says, verse 5, I am divine, and you are the branches. Those, the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. It is the Holy Spirit that keeps us connected to Christ. He is that ever-present voice within us believers, guiding us, teaching us, and assuring us 
Look at Romans 8.16, and you might want to write this down for later reflection. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. Notice the verse speaks of two different things, two separate entities. The Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, and our spirit. And they are in direct communication. As the Spirit works with us, with our spirits, we will bear much fruit. Also, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. In the same chapter, look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we should pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. That is why we here at Bethel put so much emphasis on the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit will give you a heavenly language that when you do not know how or what to pray for, you yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit and let him guide you through your heavenly language. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. That the fruit of the, and the, that fruit of the Spirit is listed in Galatians 5, 22. Says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Bringing back to John 16 and 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may find peace. Peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit that is not dependent on external circumstance. When a circumstantial storm is raging in your life, you can remain in peace. At peace in your spirit. It does not mean you don't feel. It does not mean that you're unaware or indifferent to the situation. It means that love, faith, and hope are in operation in your life. I kept this message intentionally short because I know that there are a lot of people that want to come up and seek that peace. So as the spirit, as the worship team comes up, I want to recount an instant of peace that only God can give. It's about a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a successful attorney and a real estate investor who suffered the loss of their four-year-old son, Horatio Jr., who died suddenly of scarlet fever. And then only one year later, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago, and Horatio lost many of his properties. 
Two years later, in 1873, Horatio decided his family should take a holiday in England. However, he was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife and his four remaining daughters. While crossing the Atlantic, their vessel was struck by another vessel. All four daughters died, and remarkably, his wife survived the tragedy. And upon arriving in Europe, she sent a telegram to her husband. He immediately set off to meet his wife and console each other together. And during that voyage, the captain summoned him up to the bridge, pointed to the charts of where they were. He explained that they were passing over the very spot that his daughters had drowned. That was, that was when he wrote the hymn that has become the anthem of Christians in the, mess, in the midst of loss. It is well with my soul.